Welcome back to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's been a hot minute, folks. Hope you guys are doing well. It's Jared Feinberg of Blue Chip Scouting back with a new episode of the show, and we have a good one for you today. Joining me is the co-host of the Roar Podcast on Blue Wired Podcasts, the best Carolina Panthers analyst I know, and the man who had the honor back in August to be our first guest of this podcast, John Ellis. John, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Jared. Thanks for the invite. Uh, that's way too kind of you to say. And, uh, man, I'm looking forward to talk Panthers and draft and all things football with you, man. How you doing? I'm doing swell. Um, been working on homework. I'm going to visit uh, the grandparents here for lunch here in a little bit. So excited about that. They're fully vaccinated. Um, awesome. I got my first vaccination two weeks ago, and I get my second vaccination next week. So pretty That's excited great. to be around them and not having to wear masks around them, just be able to talk and uh, be close to them. That's great, man. Awesome. Awesome to hear. Yeah, man. All right. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. Off season, the trade that went down on Monday. And I think that's the first thing we need to talk about. Sam Darnold is a Carolina Panther. The Panthers traded for Darnold, giving up a six round pick this year, a second next year, and a six next, and a six next year as well. So I, I've written an article about my thoughts on Sam Darnold um, and, like, what it means for the Panthers, what it means for Sam Darnold as the player, as the person, and what it means for the Jets. John, I want to hear it from you. What do you think about this trade? What does it mean for the Panthers? What, the, what does it mean for Sam Darnold and, and basically for the Panthers in terms of their draft outlook for um, later this month? Well, I don't know if you got the memo, but it means life is over as we know it. Yeah, it's oh, gloom and doom season. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just, just, uh, just let's not destroy even destroy everything. Fire everyone. Fire Get everybody. Everyone the I don't want to play any games at all next year. Cancel the season. <laughs> no, look. Um, yeah, I, I was I was surprised by the the move. Honestly, I, I we had talked about Sam on our timeline last week at uh, One Panther Place on Twitter. You know, we had done some film on Sam, just some minor stuff, nothing too in-depth. But my wheels started turning a couple weeks ago about this possibility, just from talking to people around the league. There's been some good reporting, again, from guys like Joe Person from The Athletic, talking about the wide spectrum of options that Carolina was looking at at quarterback. And, and the reason Sam kept coming back to me was, quite honestly, the, the Bridgewater had an audition there late in the season. And he didn't pass the grade. He didn't pass the test. We all know that. We saw it. We looked at the tape. I know you have. And it just did not pan out for Teddy. And and after the season ended, the initial presser that Matt did in, in calling him out a bit about he's got to be better situationally. He's got to get stronger. He's got to have a better offseason. That caught my ear. That That was a wake-up call to me that, okay, you know what? That's not typical coach speak. That's not a guy who's in a player's corner defending him. Matt was very transparent. And then David Tepper weighed in about the need for a quarterback to elevate you to championship levels. Uh, That to me, now that's not to say that Sam is that guy, and we'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure. But that to me signaled that every option is, as Scott Fitter has said, every deal, we're in on every deal. Sam was a guy worth monitoring because they tried for Matt Stafford. That fell through, obviously, with 
Detroit coming in and making a deal with the Rams for Jared Goff. So I, I wasn't surprised that it happened. I, I do think it's disappointing from one end that there, there are some quarterbacks in this draft that I feel could give Carolina quite a shot in the arm long term in terms of energy, in terms of performance. Zach Wilson comes to mind, Justin Fields. Uh, the slander out there has been awful around this kid. He is tremendous uh, in all aspects of the game. And uh, honestly, Trey Lance, who plays within a pro-style system, and has great processing skills as well as is a cannon of an arm. Uh, I thought those were guys who would be tremendous fits for Carolina. So I had imagined in my mind, I guess, that Carolina with, with Tepper's aggressiveness would, would make a move to, to try to get that top three pick. And uh, honestly, they probably sized it up, considered all the cost, you know, benefits to it and determined that, hey, our best bet right now is let's take on Sam's rookie contract. Let's put him in a situation where he's going to be around Joe Brady, Matt Rule, much better coaching than he received in the the, the Jets organization. Get him reunited with Robbie, get him DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, Taylor Moten on the right side, presumably a better left tackle at some point, hopefully. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's it's a move that doesn't come without risk. But in looking at some of the tape on Sam, you see a lot of traits there that, were honestly very, very publicized coming out of USC that are still within his game. He didn't just start sucking overnight. I mean, it's just guy came in the league. I don't think he's a bust. I, I don't like that term at all. I think it's Me really either. dangerous to start calling people a bust because the expectations are so high for these guys in year one now. And honestly, the, you know, QB1 for the Panthers sort of, uh, he was one of the guys who sort of, set the tone for that. Cam Newton, he came right in and threw for 400 yards in his first pair of games. But uh, yeah, it's a high bar, and I think Sam has got some work to do on some of the things within his game. But I, I don't hate this move at all. I don't. I I don't hate it at all either. You know, I think for Darnold, coming out of USC, he did have turnover problems during his redshirt sophomore year, from what I can remember. And that was yeah. my first year really evaluating prospects, like going in and grading them off their film and whatnot, creating my own big big board to with actual grades. But Darnold, he had the traits you looked for in a future franchise quarterback. Turnovers were going to be an issue. He had some mechanical issues as well. Um, and I remember watching film on, Dar- on Sam Darnold when, uh, with Mark Schofield back then a few years ago. And watching Darnold, just he he looked like a franchise quarterback. Just the turnovers and some of the mechanics that needed to be cleaned up. And going to New York at the time, it they had Bridgewater too. Let's not forget they had Teddy Bridgewater in New York as well when they drafted Sam Darnold. And then of course they traded Bridgewater to New Orleans, and now he's back here. Blah blah blah. But with Darnold. I felt like he always – he didn't go into the best situation in New York at that time, and it got a lot worse as soon as Adam Gase got there. We all remember that New England game where people were – people really thought, and I think from what I saw in that game, he, he, he was seeing ghosts. I mean, they were zero blitzing him all night long. In that yeah. game, on that, I think it was a Monday night football oh, game or Thursday night game. About, you're talking about the Pats game, right? 
Yep. Yeah, I, w- I was looking at tape on that last night, and I, there was a zero blitz that <laughs> the one where he there was a hitch, I believe, on the edge, and yep. uh, he he threw it right to a defender. And yeah, I mean, honestly, he he was in a situation where he was thrown right in a blender. Belichick, uh, more than any coach uh, in the history of this game, I think, can exploit your weaknesses offensively. Right. And uh, his his perspective that night was let's just absolutely bother Sam Darnold. And let's just send heat. And he dialed up some exotic stuff as always, but it wasn't, uh, you know, that particular blitz wasn't complicated. He just brought, he brought eight. And Sam being a young guy, he threw flat footed. Uh, I saw an interception he threw against the Colts that was very similar. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe that might've been two years ago where again, there were, there was pressure on the interior and uh, he he did not step. He just he was throwing flat-footed right to a spot. It looked like there was some miscommunication between uh, him and the receiver. And uh, and you know, he'll do that. He will do that. He he honestly, I, I don't know if uh, he's seen ghosts anymore. I think he's he's shown some ability through through the tape I've seen to to indicate that he sees the field better than he did that particular night. But yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not an unfair critique that at USC he had some issues with turnovers. He fumbles the ball quite a bit. That's not a good thing, uh, particularly for a guy who likes to work within the pocket. Uh, you need to be able to secure it when when you do get sacked because that will happen. But uh, no, that 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 seen ghost thing. I mean, it it literally did look like that. It was one of those situations where you look at the tape, you're like, oof, can this guy play at a high level in this league? But uh, as you know, you've got to take a larger sample size and look at the totality of a guy's work and. I do think you're right. I mean, he came in and was under one regime. They switched coaches to Adam Gase, uh, who honestly, by by all accounts and from those I've even spoken to within the league, uh, it, it's as bad as advertised. It was as bad as advertised. That, that's mm-hmm. not to say that Adam Gase is a complete toxic loser. That's not what I'm trying to get at. We, we encourage nuance in our discussions around, right. around our timeline. So I, I, I do think Gase is well-respected by many around the league, and I don't have any beef with the guy. But, you know, look, I do think he was a big part of the problem in terms of Darnold's development. I don't think that organization did a great job of supplying him with proper, uh, I don't know, playmakers around him. Uh, and, and I don't think the protection was that great at times, and I, I don't think that roster was ever constructed. To, to supplement what he needed as a young quarterback. You can't ask, you know, I've heard this narrative too, that, well, you know, Sam needed to come in and elevate those young guys around him and, and veterans around him from day one. And, and it's hard to do that as a rookie quarterback, especially, uh, you know, even, even a top five guy, you can't expect him to come in and carry the entire franchise. One that's within the confines of the New York media market, by the way, that's mm-hmm. a big ask. So, I think this is a good reset for him coming to a more medium sized market. Uh, that's not to say the media folks here are cupcakes because they're not. There's good reporting out there. But I think it's going to be a, a good change of scenery for him and a much more functional organizational structure, I think. I agree. And with Darnold, like, like you were saying, he has the talent. You, you can see it on tape, especially from his days at USC and his days with the Jets. Even last year, he showed flashes. Yeah. And, you know, you, you have to take a chance on that type of player, such as Sam Darnold, as talented as he is. 
this is basically I, I saw someone tweeting someone tweeted this out that you're basically you're basically going into this year for Darnold as like a brand new year, like a brand new career, essentially. You're basically yeah. restarting your career in Carolina. And Carolina has the best roster that I think Darnold ever had during his three years in New York. Last two years, he was with probably arguably one of the worst rosters in the entire NFL. I don't know how you can succeed as a quarterback in yeah. that type of te- with that type of team around you. With this team in Carolina, definitely a better offensive line, definitely a better group of receivers, better defense, better coaching. I mean, and also you got Joe Brady who turned Joe Burrow into a superstar, into a Heisman Trophy winner, one of the greatest quarterback seasons ever on any level. So, and Darnold on tape, some of the stuff he does reminds me of Burrow. And I think Brady sees that and he's like, okay, I can turn Darnold into, I can turn Darnold around like I did with Joe Burrow when I went there. So I, I love Darnold. I, I'm really hoping for his success. And guess what? It's a low risk, high reward trade. The yep. risk is if Darnold doesn't turn out well, oh well. We go all in on a quarterback in the next draft or next offseason with another quarterback. If Watson could get his whole situation figured out, but we're, I don't think that's something we really need to discuss at this moment. Um, right, right. And, you know, go ahead. No, I, I, I agree. I, I think that uh, it, it – Look, they picked up the fifth-year option, so there's that. I, I don't think at this cost it's a, it's a bad move financially. I think it. Here, here's what I will say. It, it, I, I'm, I'm very much divided on how I feel about where the organization is going right now. Um, I made this statement early part of last year, even before Newton was released, that I had question marks about what we were building here. And and the reason why I said that was they hired a coach from Baylor who had spent one season as an NFL assistant. They, they gave Matt rule a ton of money, which is, that's fine. doesn't count against the cap. It's not my billions. Do whatever you want. Uh, First time owners tend to struggle with their first hires. It's happened in Buffalo. It's happened in Cleveland. Um, And that's not to say that it's going to happen again here, Mm -hmm. but I had question marks coming in about, Okay, what to expect from Matt Rule? What to expect from the, the a regime that still employed Marty Herney at the time? Well, what, what's the plan? And that that first season under Matt Rule is so bizarre because they went through this whole dog and pony show with Cam Newton. Obviously, the pandemic complicated things. Yep. Cam was obviously given permission to seek a trade, uh, a trade that that he claims he did not want to seek. Uh, and that was the organization's way of signaling that, hey, this is not who we want moving forward. And they signed a career journeyman who had not started a full season since 2015 to a 33 million guaranteed dollar contract, 63 million total, that put him on the hook in year two for a 20 million dollar cap hit. So that to me is the bigger financial concern. When you look at it, is now they're stuck on the hook with Bridgewater. What do you do there? You can't really cut him because then you're you're eating twenty million there. 
Do you keep him around? That's awkward. I don't think that's going to work. So now you got to try to find a trade partner. And that's a complicated thing now because Bridgewater did not. And I said this at the time, that contract was overinflated for his production, for what I'd seen on tape. Um, people think that's a cheap shot at Bridgewater. Though, though that's a real <laughs> immature way of looking at it. I'll just say that. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's, a a fair, fair, it's, it's fair to say I mean, that his contract was too much. If they had what, given him eight what, million a year, I would have not had a problem with well, it. Well, look at what look at what look at what Newton signed for in the offseason. Look at Jameis Winston's contract. Right. Uh, look at Fitzpatrick, the the, the one year deals they, they give out to guys like that. If you wanted a guy to come in and compete and get you competitive from day one, uh, that that to me was a bad idea to give him multiple years where you're on the hook if it doesn't work out. And so here we are again, new general manager. Uh, the season ended in a, in a very strange way for Carolina and that Bridgewater played hurt down the stretch and he did not perform. He couldn't overcome those injuries like a lot of quarterbacks can in this league. And mentally, he just did not process things well situationally. He didn't do a good job where he's supposed to be strong in that situational football and in the red zone. You know, obviously his stats in the red zone, if you look at his touchdown to INT ratio, yeah, it was solid. But in terms yeah. of situational football, making throws in key situations, he failed the test. He didn't read the field right. He made poor decisions. He tried to go over the top on that sneak, and that, that was uh, against the wishes of the staff from, from all reports. <laughs> you know, that was not what Demet, I think, after the game had said, that's not the kind of football we want to be playing at the goal line. So, uh, you know, yeah, that, that was a, I think they'll even tell you privately that that's a move they lament now. But there's nothing you can do. All you can do is move forward. And I think Sam's contract is is reasonable enough that I don't view it as an irresponsible move. I think a six-round pick this year is 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 not that much to give up. Um, you end up, you know, I heard Pat Kerwin, who has done this for a long time, talk about sort of the uh, price chart they use in the draft on how they give out points and stuff and what that equates to in terms of compensation. And he equated it to a second-round pick. This The entire bundle of what they're giving up equated to a current-year second-round pick. That's how he viewed it. So to me, when you, when you – yeah, I mean, that's just – I guess that's his own formula he comes up with. But if you look at it through that prism, okay, you're getting a former top-five pick who has a ton of upside, who was not given the proper tools or coaching, from my view, in New York. And all you're giving up is, you know, again, future second and fourth. And I, I'm not saying those aren't worthy. I'm not saying those don't have value, but it's not like you're not getting something in return. You at least got a guy that you can put out there with a higher ceiling that I think uh, we've seen with Bridgewater. I agree. And with with Bridgewater, you know, like like you said at the top of this podcast, like we we both seen his tape and he he was okay. He, he did what he was supposed to do as a quarterback, but he did struggle down the line. With the Darnold trade, I feel like with how close Carolina came to winning so many games, they came, they came, I think in eight games, they lost by one possession along, it was yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, you're right. And I think Darnold adds if you can tap onto that potential and release it with Darnold, you you win maybe six of those games. Yeah. Six of those no. one possession games, you win. 
that could equal yeah, I, a playoff spot, a wild card yep. spot next season. Potentially, if somehow the the Buccaneers end up having some sort of down year, even though they returned all of their players, like Caroline could be contending for the division title. It's like it's that much of a difference. Carolina competed so hard every game. I, that's what I loved about last year's team was yeah. that Matt Rule was competitive. He wanted to win every game. Right. Even though there were so many deficiencies on that roster. Yeah. And I was talking with Joe Marino about Bridgewater and he told me and he, he, he had been open about not really being a fan of the Bridgewater move in the first place. And he said the Panthers didn't make a great move here, or it was something along those lines. I'm not sure. Right. Um, right. But it was something on the lo- along the lines of this wasn't the best move for them, for Carolina, if they wanted to go after Trevor Lawrence. Because yeah, if absolutely. They to go after, right. If they wanted to go after Lawrence, they oh, probably I, should have signed – Gosh, I totally, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with Joe. I, I, I had the same take all throughout the, the preseason that, and this gets back to my point about what the plan was. Okay. You know, if you're talking about Rome is not built in the day and that was the mantra, you know, we were going to build with patience, build through the draft. Uh, the, the contract that, that I thought was irresponsible they gave out to Bridgewater. Again, you're not talking about five years, a hundred million, but you're talking about, you know, a second year commitment that's going to be hard to break. Mm-hmm. And that always, that always bothered me because that, that to me, I think they envisioned Teddy would have a, a better success rate within that offense and would look better. And I, I think they envisioned themselves being in a better position as far as the draft goes. Maybe I, I don't know what their thinking was that somehow Bridgewater being a year one guy when Carolina's system would be a good thing in terms of wins yet they would still have the door open to draft the quarterback they wanted. Uh, but now here they are at eight. I mean, I, people go back to the Washington win. To your point, I love the way they competed. I, 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 for any questions I had about Matt Rule in terms of his contract, in terms of, uh, you know, being a Baylor coach that, you know, obviously did, did, did I mean, none of it made sense that he's bringing a, a, a mostly college staff with him. It wasn't the avenue that I wanted to see this franchise take in terms of their next regime. And I had my doubts, but the way he coached this group up, it made me a bit of a believer. I, I, I do like yeah. Phil Snow's defense. I think his system is translating nicely. The defense played better ball down the stretch with a young group. Uh, Joe Brady, I think, is still finding his way a little bit, but he did some really good things in terms of design, route concepts, brought a lot of that Sean Payton flavor to what uh, Carolina does here. But yeah, I, I you know I, I don't know what the thinking was. I agree with Joe very much on that, and with you as well. That you know, if your thought all along was you wanted to build a franchise and and build it around Trevor Lawrence, and, and that was your goal. The, the the idea is not to tank mid season when you already have veterans playing hard. The idea right. is to construct your roster with that in mind in the first place. To to save money a little bit around the edges to not give a quarterback $33 million guaranteed that has shown very little promise on tape since 2015. I know people got enamored with what he did last year in New Orleans, meaning Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, but if you, again, if you look at that tape, you look at, I looked at every rep he took in New Orleans last year. And uh, I don't want to relitigate it too much here, but it's just to try to bring home the point that that 
was a strange move to me. And it, now they're in a position where they had just enough in the tank, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> just enough right. in the tank from a talent standpoint to squeeze out enough wins to put them in the back half of the top ten. Uh, I don't know if they anticipated where they would be. I don't think you play the game that way. You don't coach that way. You don't design your team that way. And that, oh, we got to let's build our roster and target the fourth overall pick for next year. I mean, that's it, it falls where it falls. You can't help how other teams perform as well. But yeah, it's frustrating that uh, now they're they're in a spot at number eight where, you know, by all indications, this Darnold mode was was very much made with the thought in mind that trading up to get one of the few guys they covet would have cost too much. So, yeah, I, I, Joe Marino's take on that was, was spot on. And you, you mentioned how David Tepper said Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. I think now, after seeing how close Carolina came to winning so many games this past season, yep. it was like, oh, this roster might be better than I anticipated. <laughs> right. Um, maybe it is time to really start trying to build Rome in a day, you know? Um, but I want to go, I want to talk about a little bit about the off season. Yeah. Just one uh, quick point on that. Just, I'm sorry. I just want to get one more quick point. Yeah, on that. Go ahead. Talk to uh, Sam Farmer who covers the NFL for the LA times. And Sam has known Scott Fitterer since he was in high school. And uh, one thing I took away from that conversation I had with Sam and we, we talked to Doug Farrar, as well from USA Today, who's covered the Seahawks for a long time. My feeling is that, that Scott came in, and, and I, this could be complete conjecture on my part. In fact, it is. But if I had to take a guess, I'm thinking, you know, Scott came in in that interview and, and sort of enlightened Dave Tepper on the fact that, you know, okay, you've got a roster that doesn't need four or five years of rebuilding here. So why wait? Let's get busy and try to find a franchise quarterback now. That's why they were so heavy on Deshaun Watson. I, Jared, I can't tell you enough, but from sources I've talked to, they were so close on making that move happen before this all fell apart and, and Watson's legal troubles came to light. Uh, it, it was going to probably happen. Um, the Stafford thing was very close to happening. So they, I think some, some light switch went off in Tepper's head because he's the ultimate guy who's deciding things here. Let's not make any mistake. Is he watching tape and evaluating? Gosh, I hope not. <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> but, um, no, he, he it all runs through him. And I, I think Matt's got the heaviest influence aside from Dave. And I think Scott coming in from a Seattle background that, uh, you know, is they're very, very aggressive. Um, I think a light bulb went off and they said, you know, let, let's go all in. Let's try to find our guy now. Um, and, and let's start competing now because you never know how it's going to play out two, three years from now. So, yeah, I, I do think as well, your, your point is very valid that they competed so well in games last year. It was enlightening to the entire regime that, okay, you know, wow, we're not that far off. Let's just get a franchise quarterback and add around that. And maybe we can compete. But as you know, there's other holes too. They still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I agree. And let's translate. Transition over to some of the free agent signings we um, this team made um, over the last month or so. Um, Hassan Reddick, Dan Arnold, um, trying to think of other names. Um, Denzel Perryman, um, Pat Elfine, Cam Irving. Signings yeah. that helped this team out. Hassan Reddick, in my mind, he he's some he's a versatile player that I think Phil Snow liked a lot. Um, and with 
with Hassan Reddick, you're getting a talented pass rusher. Now was his well now was last year a fluke? Not sure, but he, he's a talented pass rusher that put up good numbers last year. And you can drop in into coverage as a Sam linebacker if you wanted to. Um Denzel Perryman is a is a much better version of Tari Whitehead for sure, in my yeah. eyes. And the dude comes downhill, great ex- great explosiveness downhill, and just rocks your world. I mean, right. devastating hits. Um, I heard a lot of good stuff from Chargers fans. They like him a lot um, when he was with the Chargers. So it's good to know that we're getting a good physical linebacker um, that can play downhill at the line of scrimmage. Now, I don't know about his ability on third down. We'll have to see how that goes this season, yeah. but – we're getting a really good run defender that can really does a good job with his run fits and is very gap sound. Um, to the depth guys that we that the Panthers end up getting, Cam Irving and Pat Elfline. Fans were the contracts looked a bit much, but when you think about it, I think it's more depth and competition. Like Scott Fitter noted in his press conference the other day that he. He wants competition at every position. That's basically what they were doing. And I, I liked those moves. Looking back at it, I was questionable about it at first, but with more thinking about it more and then hearing Fitter say, we want competition at every position, that, that, made, that made me feel a lot better with those moves. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I've got, you know, a, excuse me, a different view um, than, than a lot of folks on what they've done so far in terms of free agency. I think a lot of the people out there in terms of, uh, I guess, the fan base would would be a little underwhelmed by it, and I get that. But let, let's start with the two offensive linemen first, uh, Cam Irving, who uh, has been a bit of an up-and-down story, you know, former first-round guy. Again, you're banking on upside there. You're looking at, you know, what, what the – measurables were in terms of his rookie, you know, coming out and uh, all the numbers that, that were put up in terms of his measurements. Uh, he's obviously a big physical guy that can play inside, outside. Uh, now, did they overpay a little bit? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, you'll have to see how he performs, but they, they definitely valued him. Uh, Pat Elfline, you know, look, he was the second team all pro as a rookie. Uh, he's done some good things, I think, in terms of run blocking. Uh, as recently as his stint last year with the Jets, he does have some familiarity with, with Sam Darnold in that regard. So that, that's not a bad thing uh, when you're talking about protections and calls and all that. Um, I, I think he'll, he'll slide in at one of the guard spots. I was happy to see John Miller come back. I, I thought that Miller was one of the more underrated players on this team last year. And uh, that's not an egregious contract. So I think, you know, there, there's to be determined on these offensive linemen signings. Uh Dan Arnold. I'm going to get that name right because I'm Sam Darnold. Dan Arnold. I'm trying to make sure I'm not having a little dyslexia here. I, I've had those. I've had those same issues too. <laughs> trying to pronounce both of them at the same time. It, yes. It's in the ass. It's going to be. It's going to be tricky for announcers this year. Uh, no, Dan Arnold. I like a lot. He's a U tight end. He's a guy that can move. Uh, Jimmy Grand type of player. I think uh, a little bit undersized. Yeah, he's two twenty, but. He's six six. I mean, you're looking at the Julius Peppers type of wingspan out there, in in terms of grabbing balls in the red zone, and that's going to come in handy for for Sam. You know, honestly, yeah. And one thing I will say 
Uh, we'll get to more Sam Thawk later, but I, I like his aggression in the red zone. He threw some really good passes in terms of within, within that green zone, the 30 inside, um, 30 yard line inside, you know, making sure you're in scoring zone position. He throws some nice post routes. He, he throws some nice corner routes too. And I think having a big guy like, uh, Arnold will, will, will pay off for Darnold. Um, on defense, you know, Perryman, you said it. He's a thumper. He's a little bit undersized, but man, he's vicious in the run game. He comes downhill. PFF graded him out very well in terms of, uh, you know, not only run defense, but he's not a terrible coverage guy either. Uh, but run defense is his specialty. Uh, got a little bit of Sam Mills in him. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying it's Sam Mills, but again, he's a sub six foot guy who can fly downhill and thump you and make you, make, make you pay for it. And, that run regulation is what you still need in this league. I know it's a much different game than it was 10, 15 years ago in terms of spread, in terms of, you know, nickel packages, sub packages. But you mentioned third downs. I don't think you'll see a, a whole lot of action on the field on third downs. Um, it got them in trouble with Whitehead at times in coverage. I think he's a better coverage guy than Whitehead, but it's still not his bread and butter. I like the signing a lot. Uh, Reddick, uh, man, you know, look, people can say, you know, Billy and I talked about this in our podcast. You made a good point that even if it was a fluke last year, you're getting him at a reasonable cost and there's no long term commitment. So you get him on a bit of a discount almost for a guy who had 10 plus sacks last year. I know five of those came in one game, but he still had seven and a half sacks outside of that game. And he's got a tremendous get off. I mean, you put him opposite Brian Burns. Uh, that's a scary combo for the NFC South, I think. Uh, Winston, Don Reddick, and Brian Burns, wide nine. Oh, my goodness. Wide nine, and, and then now you got Morgan Fox in the mix playing the three-tech. You can put him inside. You, you can put Derek- first Monos at three-tech if you want oh, to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's so much versatility. Yes, the, the, that, that NASCAR package they've been running yes. for years, that you, you get the three speed guys, one inside, two on the wide nine, man, they – they can do some things. You still got Marcus Haynes in the fold. I like him situationally as a pass rusher. Christian Miller's coming back. Um, yeah, I, I like some of these moves, but Reddick, I'm going to be fascinated to watch how they deploy him. He, you know, he can play the Sam, as you mentioned. He can drop. He can do things in coverage, but his bread and butter is getting up there on the line, either in a two point or three point stance and just, and just cutting loose. And he's got tremendous lean. He's got great bend around the edge. He's just built for it. So I'm excited to see what they do pass rush-wise. When, when just looking at some of the moves they made this offseason, like, of course, a lot of them are just, like, short-term, one-year deals, one-year prove-it deals because of the cap situation that everyone's dealing with in the league because of the pandemic and the losses of revenue they have from the pandemic. And the cap space should be a lot better next offseason. I think Carolina's projected to even have some of the – probably the most cash space of any team next year. So they're going to have a lot of money to spend next off season. Mm-hmm. They can go after some big names and free agency, whoever could be available. They could also make big trades if they want to. They can go after some big names at the quarterback position. If Darnold doesn't work out, you know, they have a lot of options now because of these one year deals and also having a lot of cap space. It's going to be really interesting to see how these players turn out for Carolina. Um, I'm really inter- interested to see how Irving and Fline end up working out as depth players, um, swing starters if they end up being um, that down the road if like injuries occur or whatnot. 
But now I can transition to the draft, man. I think this is something we'll probably talk about in the show here. Um, Do you believe at that a quarterback is still in play? Scott Bitter did note that quarterback is now the question at eight. So I want to know your thoughts on that. No, I don't think it is out of the question. I, I think it's going to be fascinating on draft night. You know, we'll be doing live coverage, and I'm sure you guys will be too. Um, very much like last year, you know, there were a lot of question marks about where Carolina would lean. Would it be Simmons? Would it be possibly Tua if he fell uh, and end up being Derek Brown, who is panning out, you know, quite nicely as, as an interior lineman? But, um, yeah, I, I think, Jared, they, they can still lean on quarterback. Let, let's just assume for a minute that that four guys go in the top four in terms of quarterbacks that that seems to be the buzz right now I don't know if that's going to happen it's almost unprecedented but this is a weird season so let's just say that happens let's let's say four go and then you get the Bengals obviously they're not drafting a quarterback uh you you still have the Lions in front of you and they presumably uh would would be in a position to trade back with a team like Denver at at nine in Detroit, of course, at seven right in front of Carolina. So it'd be fascinating to see if, if like a Trey Lance, who by, you know, it looks like this Mac Jones Frisco thing is for real. I mean, it looks like Shanahan. It's more than a smokescreen. Why even smokescreen at that point? There's not a lot you gain out of doing that. So I right. think the Mac Jones Shanahan connection is, is, is legit. I don't see it with Mac, but obviously I'm not an evaluator in the league. So they, they see something I don't in terms of, what Mac can bring, uh, that, that slides Lance down in that situation. And I think he could possibly fall to eight. I don't think Fields makes it to eight. I, I just don't, just don't see it. I'm not buying that hype. I think it's a lot of smoke and, and the media is, is complicit in that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think if, if Lance is there, they have to think about it. I, I, I know that they, they value certain quarterbacks more than others. Every team does. I don't know where they stand on Lance versus the others. I've heard from a source that they really, you know, it was all about Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I mean there was he was in the, their top two, top three-ish. But other than that, I don't think they saw a guy that they were enamored with enough to trade up. But, yeah, Trey, Trey Lance falls. Yeah, I mean, you've got to, you've got to take a hard look at that. It's going to require it, – it's going to be a fascinating draft. They're going to have to be very agile, as, they, as do most teams. But Carolina, more than most years, is going to have to be – Quick on their feet on draft night. They're going to have to think quickly because the darts are going to be flying in fast. You know how it builds up in those first five picks. And suddenly you're around to six and seven and then eights here. All of a sudden, what if you're sitting there with Trey Lance on the board? What if Sewell drops? Uh, what if Slater's there on the board? What if uh, J.C. Horn's there? I mean, there's so many ways they can go. But, yeah, I believe Scott Fitter is being honest. I don't think it's a smokescreen. I think it, it, Darnold's a two-year commitment. So, if they indeed see a guy that they feel like can be developmental, can work under Sam, can develop under Sam, yeah, I, I can see them doing it. I don't think it's a high likelihood, but I'm not ruling it out. I'm, I'm not opposed to taking a quarterback at eight. Um, when when watching Justin Fields on tape, Trey Lance, Zach, well, probably not Zach Wilson. He's definitely not going to be there at uh, at eight, more than likely. Uh, right. Trevor Lawrence, of course, number one pick. That's forget about it. But when watching Fields, watching Lance, I mean, those are guys that can really transform an offense because of their play at the position. 
I believe those two quarterbacks have the potential to one day be quarterbacks that you can win because of. Now, Darnold be that? Maybe. He has that potential, but he needs a lot. He still needs work. Like, it's basically coming, like, like we mentioned, it's a new year. It's a rookie year for Darnold. It's a rookie year. So, is quarterback an option that aids? Absolutely. Will it happen 50-50? Yes, no, not sure. But I think right now it, it's safe to safe to say that whoever whoever the best non-quarterback available is at eight will more than likely to pick, in my opinion, whether that's Nate School or Sean Slater, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan. Caleb Farley, if they like him, um, they could even trade back. I know trading back is a possibility, and that could really help them out when it comes to wanting more draft picks next year. And like I've said before, if Darnold doesn't work out, they could use draft picks that they get from a trade back this year, next year, to trade up for a quarterback like a Spencer Rattler or a Sam Howell or yeah. a Keith Clovis or whatnot. You got plenty of names there that you could look at next year if Darnold doesn't work out. I I'm not I I wanted to trade at, as someone that was looking at the Panthers from a roster perspective, I felt like after the Bridgewater trade or just traded back in the draft, yeah. gained more draft picks, and then they'd be in a better position to trade up for a quarterback if they needed to this year. But they didn't, of course. Marty Herney was the GM. Yeah. So it it just yeah. But with I'm my favorite pick, and I forgot to make, mention Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. Excellent football player, probably the best oh, yeah. I've ever evaluated. When it comes to the eighth overall pick, my favorite there is probably Panay Sewell. Best offensive tackle in the draft, in my opinion. I would not be opposed. I would not fault Scott Fitter or Matt Rule, whoever's really making the decision at eight. I wouldn't fault them for taking Slater over Sewell if both of them were available at that pick. Slater's very versatile. He can play anywhere on the offensive line. Yeah. Left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. I mean, he can play anywhere and do it at a high level. He is that versatile. He's got great technique. Um, that's a guy I like a lot for the eighth overall pick. Of course, I mentioned Kyle Pitts. He could be a potential pick. If the Panthers want to have that cornerstone piece at the cornerback position, they can go with J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan. So you have plenty of options with the eighth overall pick. Yeah. Pick, picking eight is not a curse. I think that's, no. you know, uh, it, it, I've heard it mentioned as sort of a no man's land. I, I think Joe Person talked about that in one of his recent columns, and I've heard him on the radio yesterday, and I don't disagree with that. I, it is very much an awkward spot if you're quarterback hungry. But in terms of the value of play you're going to be getting, if you're doing your job right, and that's what, you know, a lot of people are paid a lot of money to do this, Jared, within the league. They, they, this is their job is to evaluate and project, to project which one of these guys in that eight range is going to give you the most value over the next five years. And I think they've got some great options there. I, again, with this run on quarterbacks, it, it's even more beneficial for Carolina in that they have presumably already sealed 
the deal on their quarterback moving forward, they now have an opportunity to not only focus in on the offensive line, presumably left tackle. I, I would hope that's something they get fixed sooner rather than later. It's been way too long. But mm-hmm. they do need a corner opposite Dante Jackson. I like Troy Pride, but I, I don't know if he's it. Um, and I, I do think that they have an opportunity to look at pits. Uh, to me, I, I agree with you. I, I've looked at a lot of tight ends over the years. I've never seen a guy like this. This is <laughs> He's on a different level. Uh, put the, him. The catch rate was wingspan. Oh. The ball put, skills. Oh, my goodness. To, oh, Put him in twelve. Put him in so bad. That's put, beautiful. Put him in a yeah. Put him in a twelve personnel situation with Dan Arnold, and then you Ooh, you've got yeah. you you've got some things you can do there. Um. So yeah, I, I I do think it's a little bit of no man's land. I agree with some of that perspective, but I also think that no matter what, you're you're primed to get a good player, and and that's the whole purpose of drafting early. It's because you sucked the year before. <laughs> what <laughs> this gives you a chance to do is suck a little less moving forward. Good teams who evaluate things properly capitalize on that. Teams who misevaluate, misstep, um, tend to fall behind. One of the reasons Carolina has been successful at times in spurts is because they hit home runs in the first round. So credit Marty Herney and the entire staff there for getting that right over the years. And it's important this year they get it right as well. If they're not comfortable at eight, if they don't see if it, let's say if Slater uh, doesn't fit their eye. Let's say if uh, Derisaw is sitting there maybe at, at 15 in, in their view. Uh, maybe trade back. Maybe accumulate some of that loss that they sustained with, with trading Darnold. Recoup some of those losses, and you can still get what I believe is a franchise left tackle. It'll be fascinating. I can't wait till draft night. Me too. I, I'm super excited. And I want to remind fans, too, that are listening to this. There are more than just one round in an NFL draft. Fans get so caught up in one round mock drafts like, oh, you got to get this position at this pick or it's a bust. You're gone. Done. No, seven rounds in this draft. The Panthers have seven picks in six rounds. They They can also trade back and add more picks throughout the draft if they want to. There are good players in day two and day three they can go after. That I'm still evaluating and still looking at, say, hey, is this a player that could fit in Carolina's offense or Carolina's defense? Could they bend the scheme? Could they bend the system? Whatever. But there are so many possibilities the Panthers could do. So, John, one final question. Gun to your head. Who is the Panthers? Who are the Panthers taking at eight overall? Oh, gun to my head. Don't do that to me, Jared. It's too early for that. <laughs> Uh, gun to my head. Let's see. Um, I think it's going to be it's, – it's so much to be determined here. I, I think if, if, if Panay well somehow falls, they're running. They're sprinting. A 4-3 time sprint all yeah. the way to the table with that card and saying, give me my left tackle the future now. That's Walter Jones type of talent right there, I think. He's <laughs> got a guy who can dominate. On the left side, the, the amount of, of, of space he can create in terms of the run game is, is fascinating. And his pass blocking skills are tremendous. I know the size is a little bit of a concern for some people. The yeah. height reach issue, that was one of the, the, quote, red flags. But I think he overcomes that with athleticism. Yeah, if he's there on the board, I take him. If he's not in pits, somehow falls. Once again, I'm, I'm taking him because he makes you better from day one. He's not a guy that's developmental. He's not a guy you have to nurture. 
you put them out there at you tight end, you, you put them in a move spot, man, you're creating some red zone opportunities. So, yeah, one of those two guys, if available, I'm taking. My guess right now, and look, whoever the Panthers are getting an eight is going to be a baller. It's plain and simple. But my guess for the eighth overall pick as of right now, Rashawn Slater. That, yeah. I I love his versatility. I love what he brings to the table. That I have no objections to Panay Sewell if he was available there. Right. Um, I wouldn't fault the Panthers again. Like I said before, I wouldn't fault the Panthers if they took Slater over Sewell. Um, as some teams do have Slater over um, Sewell as well. Um, I would love a cornerback there. I would love a tight end. Someone mentioned a wide receiver on Twitter on my timeline the other day, and I'm not the biggest fan of taking a wide receiver there. I think this is a very deep enough draft class to take a wide receiver in day two or even day three. Um, so I'm not really worried about the receiver position right now, but of course you got to resign DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson at some point. Right. So, um, that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on over these next several months and throughout the season as well as next off season, off season. So John, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, I always enjoyed Jared, uh, continued success and, uh, let's, Let's keep the conversation going as we ramp up the draft, man. I always enjoy talking to you. Same here, man. And one more thing, guys. Uh, before we head out, I want to give a shout-out to my man, Devin Jackson, my co-host. Uh, miss you, bro. Hope to have you back on the on the podcast as my co-host soon. I'll see you soon, brother. Guys, take care. Peace and love, baby. Peace. <laughs>